speaking during the, the dove hunting conference weekend. She said, you've never even been on the dove hunting conference weekend. What are you, what are you doing? I said, no, I'm staying here with the, rest, with the rest of you. So thank you for showing up. Really, I, you kind of wonder how many people will be here on nights like this, but uh, appreciate it. Thanks for coming out. Well, I, I'm sure uh, most of you have probably heard or seen this poem that I'd like to start with. And uh, for years, this, this poem was on the refrigerator of the, of the, uh, in our house as I grew up, so much so that the, the tape started curling up by it uh, after, after how many ever many years it was there. I remember reading it, but it didn't really resonate with me until I was much older, and it kind of hit home. And um, I won't need to get more than two or three lines into it, and I'm sure you'll be familiar with it, if not having memorized even little portions of it. So here it goes. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. That's the title of it, by the way, Footprints in the Sand. One belonging to him and the other to the Lord. Have you heard this before? When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of his life. This really bothered him. And he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, my precious, precious child, I love you, and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Heard that before? You know, it's actually somewhat controversial as to, as to who the author of that poem is. Um, there's actually a, a book. Michelle and I used to have this book about the authorship of that, of that poem. And there are a few that claim to have written it. Um, but nobody really knows for sure. But we can all relate to it. If we've, if we've been through something tough, if we've been through a trial, you look back, you know the Lord carried you through it, you can relate to that, that poem. That poem brings back, it brings up the idea of, of looking back at a trial we've experienced, something that you've, you've been through. And as we reflect back, I want to ask this question, do we look back and think about what, what we ourselves did during that time, during that, during that time of, of trial? We, we probably all do a little bit, and we have to do something as we continue in our lives. But if we do look back at hard times, and we, if we know for certain that it was the Lord Jesus who carried us through a trial, why do we often forget that it's, it's also him who is absolutely in control of our current circumstances, no matter how hard they are right now? Isn't it funny how we doubt when we're in the middle of something? Oh, Lord, you've left me. Where are you? Why do we often forget that? You know, we have some folks in our assemblies and, and family members, too, and I'm sure all of us are going through things, even unspoken things that we're just dealing with. Um, going through hard times right now. There's a lot of us. It, it, it seems like it's a lot more than usual. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just more sensitive to it or picking up on it more, maybe because I have family members going through things right now. But I've, I've, been, I've just been picking up on it and paying attention to it. Even on Wednesday night, prayer and Bible study, one, one look at our prayer board that's brought out and all the names on there, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. I've, I've just had a heavy heart for a lot of folks lately who've been, who've been suffering, going through hard times. I think there's, there's different kinds of trials or tribulations that we can wind up in. And I'm, I'm, I want to kind of categorize them. I think they, they come in for different reasons and from different sources. 
But I kind of think of them as being kind of three, three basic categories. So let me kind of describe this. This is the way I think about it. First kind is the, the trial due to one's own, own behavior, um, their own repetitive sin, the reaping what you've sown kind of a trial. Maybe more common for unbelievers than believers. Um, the, the, un, the unsaved drug addict who continues to cycle back to using drugs and going back and winding up on the street again. Um, someone who continues to make financial mistakes. Could be anything, anything that just cyclically goes on and on, the kind of things the Lord wants to rescue us from immediately, you know, as we're saved, those kind of things. Reaping what you've sown. Believers as well as non-believers do go through these kind of trials, that, but we bring them upon ourselves. It's our own sin that traps us in these things. Second kind of trial. They might, begin, they might begin as a result of our own sin, but even though we've recognized our own sin, our own, our own mistakes have, have brought us into that kind of tough situation, God allows us or keeps us in that trial a little bit more, a little bit longer so that he can continue to refine us and complete his purpose. You've probably been through something like that before. But the third kind, and this is what I, I would really like to focus on tonight, and there's, there's lots of neat scripture I'd like to look at. There's tons of scripture I had to go, I just can't cover it all, you know, in the time that I'm up here. But it, this is the trial from seemingly out of the blue. You don't see it coming. There, there doesn't seem to be any sin attached to it. It's the kind that we see strong believers, long-time, good, godly saints going through, even in our own church body. We know of people right now going through tough, tough times. And in our eyes, the person doesn't deserve the trial. It's just hit them. But it's clear that they're in a situation that it seems hopeless. That last hymn we sang is, is all about that. You're in a hopeless situation. How did this happen? And it seems to have no end in sight. There's no solution to it. And you're just kind of going, okay, I'm in the midst of this. I do not know what to do. That's the kind of trial or tribulation I want to address or speak about tonight. But I want to ask a question first, and that's, do we find it easy Easy, and can we quickly find it easy to count it all joy, or as some translations say, consider it all joy, when we encounter these trials of various kinds? Is it easy to just suddenly say, oh, you know what, I'm in the midst of something there, this is kind of tough, Lord, let's, let's get to work and uh, let's have some joy. It, it's tough. It takes a while to even recognize that you're, that you're in a trial. And do we even remember that we're supposed to count it all joy? Or are we too self-reliant? Do we, do we lean on our own flesh, our own strength? Or do we stop and get on our knees and go to the Lord when these tough times hit? It takes a while to recognize that you're in a situation where you really need to say, Lord, I, I am, I'm, I'm stuck. How do we handle trials when they first hit us? What do we do first? Well, let's look at a familiar passage in the book of James. You can probably predict some of these passages I'm going to go to tonight. James 1, let's go to verse 2. James 1, verse 2. Familiar, familiar passage but always well worth going back to to spend some time on. James 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, lacking absolutely nothing. The Lord's doing something with you during those times. How does James describe it? James says various trials. Different, unpredictable. There's, there's no solution out there to follow. You can't see the end of it kind of a trial. I didn't see this coming. Trials where you absolutely do not know why it's happening. It's a, the, kind of the third type of trial I was describing earlier. And uh, these are the kind that just from out of the blue, out of the whirlwind, Lord, why is this happening to me now? And what do I do about it? You might try and find people who, who can relate to that with you, but 
you, you, at the same time, you feel lost and hopeless in that kind of a trial. And there's, there's no earthly solution in sight. No earthly solution in sight. The Lord always knows how to take us through them, but there's no earthly solution in sight. There's no guidebook. You just, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I know we're thinking of Job already. We'll turn there later. Remember what verse 3 mentions, though, in this passage in James. The testing of your faith produces patience. Right? God's the authorship of testing your faith. It doesn't say something like learning from your past mistakes until you finally get it. This isn't something you've brought upon yourself. And these verses support the idea that these kind of situations are allowed. They're enabled by the Lord. Even if Satan asks the Lord for permission to test us, the Lord allows us to go through these trials. Why? So that we'll draw closer to him. So that we'll lean on him. So he'll reveal more of himself to us. And that we'll be drawn closer to his son. Let's look at the heart of someone trapped in a trial like this. We could go to tons of different psalms. I'm going to choose Psalm, psalm 13. Turn with me to Psalm 13, if you would. We're going to be looking at someone who was a man after God's own heart. David. Apparently, this, Psalm 13 could have been a little bit after he had uh, defeated Goliath. And, you know, he's, he's on the run and, and he's, in, you know, he's, he's trapped. He's in a trial. So we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing his heart here. Psalm 13. Verse 1, how long, O Lord? Starts off with that question that we do like to ask. How long? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Is David hearing God's voice right now? No, he's, 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 he's hearing silence. Now, David starts with questions that a lot of us tend to start with when we realize that we're in a tough situation. How long is this going to last? How come I can't figure this out? How, will you forget me forever? David's in a tough situation. See, we're not talking about something like, uh, if we relate this to ourselves or current, current life, this isn't temporary car trouble or, or dealing with a cut on the finger, something that there's a, a solution for. It's not the kind of thing we have a common fix for where we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and say, you know what, I just need to kind of tough it out. I know there's an answer. No, there, there's no answer to this kind of trial we're talking about here in, in chapter 13 of Psalms. We don't know, we don't know what to do. Uh, we can't guarantee life's going to go back to normal in a relatively short amount of time with something like this. This is the kind of thing we cry out when we're stuck. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Are you even there anymore? Where are you, Lord? David the psalmist is crying out from a heart that cannot see that satisfying and fulfilling end of his his trial. He's, He's stuck in the middle. He doesn't have the answer. doesn't know how long it's going to take, and he probably doesn't know why or doesn't know what else to do. So he's calling out to the Lord. At least he's speaking to the Lord, right? Well, like a lot of us during these kind of times, and I know this is how I've often faced tough times, faced tough times I tend to look inward. What do I got within me that can tough this out, right? That's what the world tells us to do. Tough it out. Come on, you can do it. Overcome. But David begins by thinking about himself, his, his own situation, his, his own plight. We do it too. We like to ask questions like, how can I solve this? How can I get some quick help? Who do I turn to? Who knows something about this? Do I have a neighbor that's been through something like this? What do I know? Who who can help me? What other experience have I ever gone through that might be able to help me deal with this situation? If you're anything like me, you tend to to start there, right? You tend to go, well, how can I I get through this? We tend to ask ourselves those kind of questions. How long is this going to last? How do I get through this? I think that as believers, we're we're not supposed to face trials that way, not in the long run anyway. We're not supposed to continue to try in our own strength and take the glory 
with our own pride. We're not supposed to be self-reliant. It's natural to look inward like David is doing at the beginning here and say, well, you know, what was me? What's going on here, Lord? But as you move into verse 2, let's notice who he's, who he's primarily depending on as, as he's beginning the psalm. So, psalm 13, verse 2, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? So now, as much as he's reflecting inward, at least he's talking to the Lord. That's what the Lord wants more than anything. He knows where we're at. Talk to me, my child. That's what he wants from us. But now, notice this little change here. As this psalm continues on, notice a little bit of change in perspective now as David turns his attention off of himself. Verse 3, consider and hear me, O Lord my God. It's a relief just to hear those words, isn't it? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Now he's turning to him for real. He's getting away from his own self-pity, all right? Sometimes we have those pity parties when we're in the middle of something and like, you know, after a while you end up going, all right, I, I, gotta, I gotta stop thinking about myself. There's gotta be a way to get through this. But he begins to truly look at the Lord for strength and he cries out as we continue, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. He's basically saying he doesn't want Satan to win the battle in this trial. Satan, you're trying to get the better of me. You're not going to win this thing. The Lord will be victorious. His prayer through verses 3 and 4 switches from a considering his own plight and his own condition to asking the Lord to help him. That's what the Lord wants. He can take ownership of our trial. He just wants us to ask us. Excuse me. He just wants us to ask help from him. As it continues on, But I have trusted in your mercy. Notice the shift of who he's speaking to now and who he's dwelling upon. I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation, Lord. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Isn't that beautiful? Notice the past tense, dealt, not dealing with, dealt bountifully with me. There's a, there's a completion factor there. Something has been completed and finished. And bountifully, not not, not dismally, not half-heartedly, sheepishly, bountifully, happily, with joy, you know, gladly, thoroughly, sufficiently. Right? The Lord's dealt with it. You have dealt bountifully with me. Um, bringing this closer to home, you know, in, in our own assembly, I, I've had a really heavy heart, I think, for what, um, I don't think they're here tonight, but let's be still, still thinking of him, praying for him. John and Jennifer Brooks and their boys, what they've been dealing with. It, it's, a, it's a family thing. I know it's, it's affecting Jennifer directly, but they're all dealing with that. And they are, they are going through something, and we need to continue to pray for them. I think of what the Aarons have been going through for, for several years. I even talked with Will today about this and said, I, I wanna, I, we're going to continue to pray for you, all of us, please. They continue to ask for your prayers. And, there, and there's many others. Again, look at, the, look at the prayer board on Wednesday night. There are, there are so many needs out there. Plenty among us out there that have been going through hard times. Michelle and I now have two close family members, both dealing with ovarian cancer. Many of you know about Michelle's sister, Lisa. In the past couple of weeks, recently been hearing out now, my own mother has ovarian cancer. All right? It's just, it's, it's one thing after another. Um, we're on our knees all the time for, for all sorts of people. But most, if not all of us, we've, we face these seemingly hopeless, tough times. My personal life, I'd like to share a little bit of a, of a trial that I went through um, around the time when Michelle and I were engaged. And it, trials teach you things. They, the Lord takes you through, through times like this 
to show you himself, all right, to show you who you are, but to show him to us as well. So, but this one major trial kind of stands out significantly above any others in my life. And for me, it was um, the time I had just gotten out of college, and I, I didn't know what I was going to do for my career yet. Um, Michelle and I had just gotten engaged, as I said, and I wound up in a job that um, I, I fit this job about as well as a porcupine working in a balloon factory. It, it, no, nothing about it fit. It just was not me. And it was because I'd, I'd strayed from the Lord for the previous five or six years, coincidentally, during college, when you're supposed to find out who you are and what you're supposed to do. Um, I wound up as getting a job, and I liked it for a couple of weeks, actually. Um, I was an environmental hydrologist, or just a, a, a water sampler for an environmental cleanup firm. And after about a month, I just, I just couldn't stand it. I just, out of the blue, I'm going, wow, I don't like this all of a sudden. It was when I had to go, I had to go out in the field. It was in Phoenix. Often the days were 110. I was on black asphalt. The black asphalt made it 130, 140 degrees. I was going, I didn't go to college for this. Anyway, um, now at first I thought the solution was a new job. And for weeks and weeks, I thought, you know, I'll just get a new job and I'll be fine. That's my, you know, a lot of people advise me that way. Why don't you get a new job? You know, maybe this didn't work out. Try something new. And I just, I can't even tell you for, for months and months and months how many closed doors I had. Nothing worked out. And yet I was able to keep that job I had. Um, even though I wanted out of it so bad, but nothing worked out. I just, I, for, for months, I just couldn't believe, why, why am I stuck in this position? I didn't get it. I really leaned on the Lord. Michelle counseled me a lot during that time. But it took me about three or four months before I realized I was in a trial, um, and that the trial was firmly sponsored by the Lord, that he had his hand on me and was saying, we're going to do something with you here for a while. So trial, it was a little bit like the, uh, the second type of trial that I was describing earlier. Um, a trial due to me having strayed from him for the, for the previous five or six years. And uh, so I, I brought it on myself, all right? And some of us do this. I was brought on by my own sin and rebellion. But the trial was kept in place in my life because as I, as I now look back with that 2020 spiritual hindsight, if you know what I'm talking about, where you look back and go, oh, I see what was going on there. Where I feel like God must have said something to the effect of, Okay, while I've got you here in this pit, I am, we're going to take care of about 100 other things that need some work here, young Jeffrey, okay? And I'm going to keep my thumb on you while we also refine a bunch of other stuff in, in your life. Um, I realized that down the road a lot, a lot of years later. At the time, I was going, man, this is too much. I just felt lost, and it's a real weird, miserable feeling to feel lost, where you don't know what the answer is, why you're going through it, and, um, and no solution in sight. That's the bottom line. I was lost. I didn't know what to do for my career. And it was going to take some reconfiguring in my life to get back on track. I kept looking for a quick and efficient, sort of a, just a short-term solution. And, and you can bet I kept asking God, you know, once I realized that he was allowing this to continue, that I, I kept asking him, why? Why are you putting me through this, Lord? And he doesn't shout out the answer down to us, you know. He, doesn't, he just doesn't tell us why. He's often silent during those times. And why now? I remember asking him that, why now? You know, but later I began to ask him for patience. Uh, as I continued to see him refine where I was at that time in my life, I asked him for patience. I began to ask the Lord questions like, okay, if, if no other job is opening up, no other career at this point, what do I need to do? Where do you need me, Lord? If this is the job I'm supposed to stay in, what do you need from me? Where, where do I turn? I began to deal with my anger over the situation. Um, one of the most important things I did, though, after getting some counsel, with just being stuck in that position. Somebody had advised me to pray for contentment. Contentment. They, they led me to Philippians 4.11 with the phrase in there is, for I have learned to be content in any and every circumstance. I have learned to be content. 
And as hard as that was, I really began to pray for contentment, and guess what the Lord gave me? Exactly. I also began to realize the timing of this. The timing of this trial was going on while Michelle and I were engaged because the Lord, the Lord knew I wasn't anywhere near ready to be a husband yet. I just wasn't. I knew who I wanted to marry. I wasn't ready to be a husband yet. I wasn't on my feet. Um, there, my, my work ethic was not there. He knew that and he needed improvement. He, he knew what career I would have and should have chosen had I even spent five minutes in communion with him during college and asking him that question as to what I should have majored in and decided to do with my life if I just had that humility at that time. The Lord was working on me, though. He also knew I lacked perseverance. The Lord knew everything I needed because he knows everything. Our great, loving, omniscient God knows us so much better than we know ourselves. Right? The Lord's thumb was, was firmly on me the whole time, and he has a big, wide, loving thumb, if you haven't noticed yet. Um, if he has it on you right now, if you feel like the Lord's thumb on you, is on you, and it's not moving... He's keeping you where you are for his own perfect, purposeful reason, far beyond, far beyond what you might imagine. You know, in our own earthly, finite minds, we often, we really don't see what he's doing there, but he does know. I, I know it's hard to accept that truth. I know that the Lord might feel really, really distant during hard times, but he's there, all right? It might be only his footprints in the sand that we see for a while, right? But he, but he hasn't left us. I will never fail you nor forsake you. Except in this current situation you're in right now, no, never. I will never fail you nor forsake you. Not in some special case, no, never. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to keep you where you are because I love you. I'm going to take care of you, my child. Moving on. Um, we do tend to ask though, that question, why am I going through this? You know, Job asked, asked the Lord that. Why? Why, Lord? The Lord never answered Job why. He showed him a whole lot more other things by the end of that trial. Why now in my life, and why won't this trial end? Right, how many of us are familiar with Johnny Erickson's story, or Johnny Erickson Tata? Heard of her? Sure. Right, Johnny Erickson Tata now. She is married. Um, she's a very good friend of our own, I believe she's a good friend anyway, I know they, they know each other, of our assembly friends from Phoenix, the Stratmans, you know, Daniel Stratman. Many of us know Daniel's story very well as, uh, too, but Johnny Erickson taught, and the Stratmans are close friends. Um, I, want to, I want to read a little bit about her. Um, I even, uh, well, I'll show it to you in a second here. But Johnny Erickson taught, um, with the example of her parents, Johnny lived a very active life all through her growing up years. She enjoyed riding horses, hiking, tennis, and swimming. But on July 30th, 1967, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay after misjudging the shallowness of the water. Some of you know the story already. She suffered a fracture between the fourth and fifth cervical levels, right here, I think, of her neck, and became a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the shoulders down. During Johnny's two years of rehabilitation, according to her autobiography, Johnny, and I brought my copy tonight, actually probably originally was Michelle's, but I've read it, fantastic book. Anyway, um, she experienced anger, depression, suicidal thoughts, and religious doubts. To date, she has written over, anybody want to guess how many books she has written now? A lot. She's written over 40 books. I mean, talk about having a platform for ministry, and she's used it. Um, one of which was her 1976 international best-selling autobiography, Johnny, the unforgettable story of a young woman's struggle against quadriplegia and depression. All right, let me read a couple of quotes. I opened it up the other night and found some ones. I just want to read from, from it here. That it allows us to see how her perspective was altered by the trial she was enduring. It's a trial still going on, but I think she's through the bulk of it where she was doubting God. She's still alive. She's still in her wheelchair. 
the Lord still is carrying her through it. Um, but this first one, she's referring to her, her renewed trust in God, which she had struggled with for a few years after her accident. God engineered circumstances. He used them to prove himself as well as my own loyalty to him. Not everyone had this privilege. I felt there were only a few people God cared for in such a special way that he would trust them with this kind of experience. Isn't that interesting? This understanding left me relaxed and comfortable as I relied on his love, exercising newly learned trust. I saw that my injury was not a tragedy, but a gift God was using to help me conform to the image of Christ, something that would mean my ultimate satisfaction, happiness, even joy. There's another quote, and this shows how the Lord changed her heart and gave her kind of a a greater understanding of God's purpose. As her perspective was broadened, she could see why the Lord had her where where she is. My accident was not a punishment for my wrongdoing, whether or not I deserved it. Only God knows why I was paralyzed. Maybe he knew I'd be ultimately happier serving him. If I were still on my feet, out of the wheelchair, it's hard to say how things might have gone. I probably would have drifted through life, marriage, maybe even divorce, dissatisfied and disillusioned. When I was in high school, I reacted to life selfishly and never built on any long-lasting values. I lived simply for each day and the pleasure I wanted and almost always at the expense of others. I'd say the Lord made a change in Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson said that, that during the time after her accident had occurred, when, when she was still very depressed, felt very distant from God, she was, she was encouraged by a friend of hers who pointed her to that, that wonderful verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. You don't need to turn there. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Similar verse to that is Ephesians 5.20, you know, give thanks in everything. But this, this friend of Johnny said to her, look, that verse doesn't say you have to feel thankful. You may not feel thankful. Trusting God has nothing to do with trustful feelings. That verse says give thanks. And so, Johnny, take a step of faith and just do it. It was, it was a struggle for her. It would have been a struggle for me, trapped in a, you know, either in that bed that she was in for years uh, as she was recovering or in a wheelchair. Take a step of faith, Johnny, and do it. And she did. Right? Johnny would tell you today that she is thankful that she had the accident that paralyzed her. She'll say it to this day, I'm thankful for how close she is to the Lord, for how much she leans on him. But how, how do we get to that point where we, where we truly, I mean, not, not just saying it, but where we truly mean it when we say it, that we can consider it to be pure joy when we encounter any trial or trials of various kinds. How do we get there? Where we can say, yeah, I, this is joyful. I'm okay. This is joyful. I know the Lord has me right where he needs me. What does scripture say in the verse we read in James? Does it say, consider it all happiness or consider it all joy? What's the difference? What defines each? How do we experience one versus the other? If we're out to please ourselves, if we're, if we're trying to stay in control, you know what, it, it really is our pride that we're, that we're being hung up on when we're saying, you know, I, I can do this on my own. You know, this might be tough, but I can do it. it it's easy to do. It's natural. We, we get hung up on our own pride. I can do this myself. And our own pride can also cause us to say, why, why would this be happening to me? Lord, me of all people? You want me to deal with this kind of thing? You're picking on the wrong guy. I've said that to him before. I, I, I can't fit this problem into my life right now. Why are you doing this to me now? You ever feel that way? 
I just cannot deal with this right now, Lord. Why are you doing this to me? If we're truly, truly seeking, seeking joy in any circumstance, no matter how rough, no matter what we're going through, no matter how surprising it is or how hopeless we feel, and if we're truly wanting to find that contentment, that fulfillment that, that James 1-2 talks about, consider it all joy, we need to look away from our circumstances. As hard as it is, look away from ourselves and focus our eyes on our Savior. Isn't that the answer? We've got to look to Him. Let me say something here. If, we're, if we are really, truly considering all of it to be joy, then there's nothing left about our situation for us to consider in any other way than with joy. Let me say that again. If we're really, truly considering all of it to be joy, no matter what we're going through, then there's nothing left about our situation for us to consider in any other way than with joy. I know, easier said than done, right? Now, do we still need to go to others and seek wise counsel, do some research, and pray for wisdom? All these things, of course. All right? the, Lord, the Lord gives us something for us to do, but he also has a whole lot that he's doing at the same time. He's doing the refining in us. He has the world in his hands and can take care of us. I feel like, though, just in general as an assembly, we could use some encouragement, maybe just a reminder um, of, of how important it is during times like this to know how to surrender or to be able to surrender our situation to the Lord. I read a book on this years ago about surrendering. It just, it just clicked. Like, you know, that's really what we need to do. Instead of tackling something on your own, surrender your situation to the Lord. Surrendering is hard. It's hard to let go. It's, I, feel, I feel like it's the opposite of pride. Our pride wants to hang on to our circumstances. I can solve this myself. Surrendering involves trust, faith. Uh, it causes growth. Um, it, those things don't, don't come easily. They take, they take prayer. They take the Lord's strength. They take his humility. I hope you can convince yourself in your own heart that he is in control as you can surrender any troubling circumstance to him. None of us find it easy to to immediately be able to surrender our circumstances and consider it all joy. It doesn't happen automatically. You know, I'm, I'm trying to absorb these hard truths tonight, too, as I'm preparing for this and going, man, I, I, I'm not good at this either. You know, none of us are, right? We need the Lord to be able to do these kind of things, to surrender our circumstances. Well, as I, as I said, at some point tonight, you knew I was going to say, turn with me to the book of Job. This is that moment. If you go to Job chapter 10, I, I'm kind of assuming a lot of you know the general story of Job. He falls into a trial. It's brought on. Satan asks if he can test him. The Lord says, all right, but don't kill him, okay? Um, I'm going to go to Job chapter 10, and uh, I think the simple question I think that's well worth considering is, at the moment after, after Job's been struck by Satan's hand, does, does Job say, Oh, thank you so much for allowing this, Lord. Let, let's consider this all joy. I mean, he's lost everything. He, his, his wife has survived, but he's lost his, his house, all of his cattle, thousands of servants and helpers. Uh, he's, he's poor. He's been, now he's covered with boils. He's not saying, let's consider this all joy. Hey, let's, let's, let's work on some patience here, Lord. It, it doesn't happen like that. Job, for a while, is, is angry. He's, he's upset with God, but he's speaking to him. He doesn't ignore him. Job, Job 10, starting verse 1. I'll read just bits and pieces of this here. We're getting a transparent view of Job's heart. My soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Being absolutely honest, isn't he? I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. Does it seem good to you that you should oppress, that you should despise the work of your hands and smile on the counsel of the wicked? 
That's his opening lines for the Lord in his conversation. Let's go down to verse 8, though, for now. Uh, Your hands have made me and fashioned me an intricate unity, right? Knit together in my mother's womb. Not that he had the psalm to refer to at that time, but now he says, yet, yet now you would destroy me. Verse 9, remember, I pray, that you have made me like clay, and will you turn me into dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk? By the way, that's a good positive thing. Lord, you poured me out like milk, and now what are you doing? As verse 10 ends, and curdle me like cheese. Now you're curdling me like cheese after making me? Verse 11, clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. He's speaking to the majesty of how the Lord made him. What's Job's point? Lord, you made me, you fashioned me together, and now you're doing this to me. Really, right now? Now you're doing this? He's just baffled. Why am I going through this? In the interest of time, let's skip down to verse 18. Why then have you brought me out of the womb? Why was I even born, Lord? Oh, that I had perished and no eye had seen me. I would have been as though I had not been. Isn't that an interesting line? I would have been as though I had not been. I wouldn't have even existed. I would have been carried from the womb to the grave. Just straight to it. Are not my days few? Cease, leave me alone, that I may take a little comfort before I go to the place from which I shall not return to the land of darkness and the shadow of death, a land as dark as darkness itself. Job's Job's done with his life. There's nothing left here for me. What, What are we doing this for? Finishes up with, as the shadow of death without any order where even the light is like darkness. He's in a pit. Very, very straightforward, transparent communication from between Job and God, isn't it? He's declaring his innocence straight from his heart, saying, you know, I, I don't know why I'm being put through this. With, and there's no sin involved, right? But with several accusations against his creator, Job just simply cannot fathom how God would give him his life and care for him, only then to almost destroy everything good in his life. But we, again, we get a transparent view of Job's heart in the midst of his trial. One of the hardest things for Job to deal with throughout much of this, the book of Job is when God is silent. It's hard for any of us to deal with, it, with, with God, but he's absolutely silent. And you don't see him working in your life. And you're just in the middle of the situation. And for the majority of the trial that Job is going through, God is silent. Do you know, between Job chapter 2 and Job chapter 37, there's nothing spoken from God. That's a long time for Job to be in that trap. His friends are trying to counsel him. But God's silence gets our attention, doesn't it? It's his way of making us continue to draw near to him. You can give up on him, or you can continue to say, all right, I don't see anything changing, but I'm going to continue to ask you questions, Lord. What's going on with this? What are you doing with me right now in this trial when God is silent and seemingly distant? At this point, let me, I want to point our attention by, and sort of start wrapping this up by focusing on our Lord and Savior. He went through trials too. He went through you know, the one major trial on the cross, of course, that I want to point to. Let's, let's turn to Hebrews 12.2, if you would. Hebrews 12.2. I think I'll probably start as verse, verse 1 is kind of finishing up in Hebrews. Hebrews 12, end of verse 1. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. As verse 2 begins, looking unto who? Ourselves? No, unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a completion there. The Lord, the Lord faced that cross with joy. Hard to believe, isn't it? May not have been happy about it. May not have been thrilled about the whole idea, but with joy. Right? Not for the happiness set before him, not for the thrill, not for the congratulatory high fives afterwards and, and, and a write-up in the local paper. No, he didn't do it for that. No, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Well, the question to ask here then is, if, if there was joy set before him as he endured the cross, is there joy also set before us as, we're in, as we endure what we're enduring? Do we look at it with joy, our own situation, or are we trapped in a pity, in a pity party? Now, is this, does this mean that Christ looks so forward to the joy set before him that he had no need to ask why to his heavenly Father? He asks a very famous, wonderful question in Scripture that we love to read at times like during breaking the bread. The Lord did ask why when he was on the cross. Matthew 27, 46. Don't need to turn there. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? His own heavenly Father. But you know what I take from that? It's our Lord and Savior right then and there carrying our sins on the cross, our shame, our feelings of desperation and hopelessness up there for us. He's already cried out to God. With him crying that out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that on our behalf. He's dying on our behalf. He's asking that question as the Lord, the Heavenly Father turns his face away from his son dying on the cross. The Lord Jesus advocated for us in asking that question for us right there. Why have you forsaken me? We ask that question when we're in trouble, when we're in trials and tribulations. The Lord Jesus did too on our behalf, even though he was the one going through it as well. Job asked God that question. Why? Why am I going through this, Lord? I've asked God that question at times. And I'm guessing you have as well. You've been through anything tough. And if you haven't, you will at some point. We all know that. I, I started off tonight by talking about the idea of, of looking back, you know, the poem, The Footprints in the Sand, looking back at those, at those footprints. And by the way, those footprints have nail prints in them. Let's not forget. But seeing how God's hand was in our lives and how the Lord carries us through trials. But I, I, at this point, I, I want to encourage us to, to look forward no matter what we're going through, with, with faith and with hope, um, with joy, all right? just like the Lord faced the cross, looking through our trials with joy, knowing that there is joy set before us uh, for whatever we're going through, and he is absolutely in control of our circumstances. And I, I get it. I get it, yes, that if, if, that's, if that's too hard to do right now with whatever you're going through, I encourage you to at least look at Christ's sufferings on the cross and just marvel at the fact that he did do that. Not for himself, but for us. He did do that with joy. He did finish that trial with joy. He went through it, right? He completed it. I also want to encourage you, though, also just, just to have, have the courage, or maybe it takes some surrender on your part, to just simply ask, ask him, ask the Lord for that joy in the midst of your own circumstances, whatever you're going through, just ask him for it. After all, who does our, where does our joy come from? It comes from the Lord. He doesn't ask us to create our own joy or try to pretend to be happy. Ask him for that joy in the midst of your circumstances. Lord, I'm, I'm depressed. I need something. Can you, can you bring me some joy? That's what he wants to hear. He wants us to draw near to him. That's what he really wants more than anything. He wants an intimate relationship with us. 
Why would he put Job through all of that toil and trouble when Job already, already was walking with the Lord? He drew, he drew Job in even closer, and God revealed more and more about himself to Job during that time, and then doubled his blessings at the end of it all, right? But he wants us to draw near to him, and he wants that relationship with us, and, and that, that brings him joy too. So I guess in close, let's, let's, let's simply trust him as an assembly as we pray for those that are going through hard times, whether it's family members or anybody. Um, let's trust him and, and know that his, his mighty hand is, is in control and, and trust him with all the rest, all right? He's got plenty more to worry about than us. We do what we do. Let's trust the Lord for all the rest. And let's just close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just what your word reveals. There are just so many places in Scripture where you identify with the things that we go through. Your Son, the Lord Jesus, sympathizes with, with where we are. He understands it. And as we lean on him, we need to remember that, Lord. May we, may we just look to you, Lord, during these times and be prepared and uh, to not doubt you, to not wonder what's going on in our life or why it's happening, even though we naturally like to ask those things. But, Lord, may we lean on you. May we lean on you as an assembly, that you'd carry us through times that are tough, that we would carry one another's burdens, but that we would do that by leaning on you. Oh, dear Lord, we need you for all these, for all these things. We praise you, Lord, for the, the trials, tribulations that you've carried us through. You, you, you do overcome. You are mighty and wonderful and beautiful and omniscient, and we just give you all the praise and the glory because you can do anything and everything. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you know us better than we know ourselves, that we can trust you with that. We lift all this up. We thank you for this time to, tonight, this evening, Lord. In your Son's precious name we pray. Amen.